All right. Our text this morning in the life of Moses begins here in verse 29 of Exodus chapter 4. I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 4, verse 29. Using the Bible under the seat in front of you, easy to find, page 65, right there at the beginning of your Bible. I personally learned so much from this passage as I prepared for this Sunday. And I was so encouraged about what we find here. And I hope it will encourage you as well. Father, I pray that you'd bring great encouragement to your people through your word. Thank you that you have just the right words for us when we need them. I pray that you would speak to each one of us in a wonderful way. Lord, thank you for your love towards us, your desire to use us, make our lives fruitful. Guard us against anything that would keep us from that, and I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So after 40 years of quiet living in the wilderness of Midian, Moses, at the age of 80, has been called by God to be the deliverer of the children of Israel. God has commanded Moses to travel to Egypt to approach the Pharaoh of Egypt and to request that he let the Hebrew slaves, go. Now, Moses did not fill up to the job, you remember. In fact, he gave God many reasons why he should send someone else. Made lots of excuses, which we studied last time together. But God was so patient with him. And eventually, Moses took this enormous, courageous step of faith outward. He obeyed the Lord, and he went to Egypt. And so we pick up the story this morning right after they arrive in Egypt. So look at verse 29 of chapter 4. It says, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads in worship. So Moses and Aaron arrive. First thing they do, get the elders together among the Hebrew slaves there in Egypt. So they organize this meeting, and it's a fantastic meeting. It's a wonderful start. Moses and Aaron tell them, hey, The Lord has heard your cries. He's seen your affliction. He's going to deliver you. He sent Moses and I, Aaron says, to deliver you. And I'm sure the elders at first were skeptical, but then Moses showed those signs that God had given him. You remember those? He threw his rod down, turned into a snake, grabbed it by the tail. It went back into a rod. He put his hand in his cloak, took it out. It was leprous. 
put it back in, came out, and it was healed. He did those signs. It says, wow, everyone believed. Everyone's excited. Everyone in that meeting bows their heads and worships. And the word spread probably all over among the Hebrew slaves. Man, God is moving. God's about to do an incredible thing. Great start. So in chapter 5, Moses and Aaron go in to see Pharaoh. Verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Now, this, I, this is, took so much courage. This took so much faith. Pharaoh was intimidating. He's the most powerful man in the world. He could have ordered their execution right on the spot. But Moses and Aaron, they go in. They took that step of faith. They obeyed God. It would seem even that the doors opened. They, they quickly got an audience with Pharaoh. And they come before Pharaoh and they go through that open door and they say, Pharaoh, the Lord God of Israel has a message for you. He has a request. Let my people go. And Pharaoh responded, amen, guys, sure, let's go for it. Did he really respond that way? Not even close. Verse 2, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know the Lord God. No, the answer is no. Mission meeting over. Get out of here. Moses and Aaron persist. Verse 3, so they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Pharaoh, the God of the Hebrews, is real. He met with us. He has the power to bring pestilence and sword. He's requested that we go out and sacrifice. Give us a three-day journey out. Let us do the sacrifice. And then three days back. Pharaoh, give us a week off. One week. Hmm. Verse 4. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron. Notice he knows their name. Moses and Aaron. Why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. You want a week off? Are you kidding? We're wasting time right now in this meeting. You're taking the people's mind off the labor. He says, get back to work, everyone, and Aaron and Moses are shuffled out of the courtyard. And then watch what Pharaoh does. So shrewd, so diabolical. Verse 6. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, 
You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it. They're idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. So Pharaoh gets to thinking, you know, maybe those Hebrew slaves have too much time on their hands. Coming in and asking for a week off. They're idle. They're lazy. Let's fill up their time. So they decide they're going to put more work on the Hebrew slaves. Now the Egyptians would supply straw in the making of the bricks. Very important for the bonding quality of the clay. Straw was provided and the Egyptians would do that. But now Pharaoh says let them get their own straw. And yet even with that extra work Pharaoh says their quota shall not be reduced. Let's add more work to these Hebrew slaves to get any funny business out of their minds. And so the order goes forth. Verse 10, And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourself straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people, verse 12, were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. So you see everybody, they're running all over Egypt looking for straw, finding stubble, getting all of this material together. They're working overtime. They're sweating They're stressing. They're working as hard as they can, and the taskmasters are saying, hurry up. You're not going to make your quota. And you know what? They didn't. They weren't able to keep the same level of production up. Hmm. So verse 14 says, the officers of the children of Israel... Hebrew slaves that Egypt had put kind of like middle managers in the operation. The officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? All the middle managers are being beaten. They missed their quota two days in a row. I read this week the Egyptians would use rods to beat the soles of their prisoners' feet so every step would remind them of their defiance against Egypt. Imagine that. They're getting beat up. They're working harder. The stress is greater. Well, these middle managers, they run to the Pharaoh. Verse 15, Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There's no straw giving to your servants. And they say to us, make brick. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but their fault is in your people. Pharaoh, what are you doing? What what the change of policy? What's going on here? And Pharaoh in verse 17 says, 
You are idle. Idle. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. You got too much time on your hands. You know, I can see Pharaoh looking at the officers. Two guys came into my office a couple days ago. What were their names? Oh, yeah, Moses and Aaron. And they seem to think that you have time. Well, he won't relent. Verse 18, go now and work, for no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. That meeting did not go well. The officers heard from Pharaoh and they said, we're in big trouble. He's not going to change his mind. The officers can only see daily beatings from here on out. Ugly, harsh, difficult, terrible meeting. And then notice, after they leave the meeting, look who they run into. Verse 20. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met... Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. They walk out of that meeting, they run into Moses and Aaron, oh, it's you guys. Thanks for nothing, Moses and Aaron. And they say something really ugly. May the Lord look on you and judge you, Moses and Aaron. You've made us abhorrent before Pharaoh. So upset. Everything about that meeting at the end of chapter 4 has evaporated. The momentum, the anticipation... The bowing of the heads and the worshiping, the camaraderie, gone. Pharaoh has crushed it. And Moses took it extremely hard. Verse 22, it says, so Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Can you hear the frustration? Can you see the sadness? Can you hear the confusion? Lord! I play by the rules. Lord, I took a giant step of faith. I trusted you. I obeyed exactly what you told me to. I played by the rules. And it was true. Moses had played by the rules. Moses had made an incredible step of faith. He acted courageously. He did the right thing. And yet, everything got worse. Everything. For the Hebrew slaves, certainly. But for Moses and Aaron, they feel awful. They feel like they've let people down. They feel responsible. The very people they came to help are now angry with them. What a mess. What a train wreck. What a setback. 
What a downer. You ever experience something like that in life? I mean, you go out and you want to serve the Lord. And maybe, you, maybe you hear from God. You hear he wants you to do something. And so you move. You go forward and you take that big step of faith and you believe him. And you play by the rules and you, you go right out. And then all of a sudden, bam, bricks without straw. No straw for you. Total barrier. Or maybe you recently gave your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you became a brand new Christian and you're so excited. But all of a sudden, all these crazy things are happening in your life. Obstacles. Discouragement. No straw for you. Bricks without straw. Or maybe you're a born-again Christian, but just recently you've come back to the Lord and you've decided, I'm going to live for him. Our family's going to live for Jesus. I'm going to leave behind the bad influences, the bad habits. I'm moving forward. And you decide, I'm going to start serving Christ like I know I should. And all of a sudden, bricks without straw, setbacks. Man, it happens. It's really important to understand some things when you face those setbacks. When you decide, I'm going to get serious with the Lord, I'm going to do these things, I'm going to move forward. You're going to get setbacks, and it's really important to understand some truths. Number one, things usually get worse before they get better. Things usually get worse before they get better. Not always, but usually. That's a common thing for God's people. In fact, it's so common that you should just sort of expect that. It got worse for Moses and all the Hebrew slaves. You study the life of Joseph. Man, what a godly man of God, a man of integrity, did everything right. Please the Lord, move forward. And what happens? He gets sold as a slave into Egypt. Keeps following the Lord. What happens? He gets thrown in a dungeon for 10 plus years. It got worse. Until it got better at the end of the story when he becomes second in charge of all of Egypt. I think of King David when he slew Goliath, the giant, became very popular, so popular that the king of Israel became jealous. Saul begins chasing David all over the wilderness, trying to kill him from, it just got worse. It happens, that's common. It happens on the mission field. It happens in the ministry. It happens on church plants. It happens when Christians say, I want to be different. I want to really go for it. I can't believe it's already been 16, 17 years ago that we, our church moved to this property. And our church was so excited. We were just walking on air. We're so, we got our own place. And uh, the whole goal was we're going to get, you see that building next door, the gin? We were going to remodel that, turn that into a church. It was going to be no problem whatsoever. The city of El Paso was going to be so cooperative. We ended up meeting in a tent on dirt for four years. Four years. Facing all kinds of issues. And I will just say this to you. On virtually every 
venture of faith in my life where I've taken a step out, where I've decided I'm going to do something, I've experienced a setback. It's gotten worse first. J. Hudson Taylor, pioneer missionary to China, said it this way. He said, there are three stages in any great work attempted for God. Impossible, difficult, done. It just stays difficult. There are setbacks. So you need to understand that when you make your decision. It oftentimes gets worse before it gets better. And then number two, please understand this. You say, I'm going to go start following God and do what God wants me to do. Things, and and I can 100% guarantee you this. You ready? Things will not work out the way you expect them to work out. Things will not work out the way. God will put a vision in your mind. He'll give you a task. He'll give you the long term. You decide to make a move and move forward. And you get this idea in your mind of how God is going to work. He won't work that way. He will work in ways that you don't expect. Somebody said tongue-in-cheek. Do you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. God moves in mysterious ways. God is very creative. God will many times do things that you never dreamed of. Somebody said, the key to success in life is how well you adapt to plan B or plan C or plan D or plan E. God has his thing that he's doing. And his ways are above us. Life is not a straight line. God's plan for you and me includes a fair number of detours. The path of life zigs and zags and goes up and down. For a while you feel like you're going in circles. Then one day the clouds lift and you discover those endless circles were leading you up to the top of a mountain. But on the journey, you see the clouds. God does things differently. He'll act in ways that you don't expect. 100% reliable. A wonderful man of God and faithful minister at the age of 75 was asked, what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self? He thought about it, and then he responded, I would say to my 30-year-old self, Everything will work out, just not the way you expect. That's life. Now, everyone here in chapter 5, Moses, Aaron, the slaves, they're all, what's going on? They expected a certain response from God. It didn't happen like they thought. But God is going to absolutely blow them away, don't you think? As the coming days and months unfold. And what God does, something that they never would have dreamed of. Hmm. By the way, Pharaoh in chapter 5 says, I don't know the Lord God of Israel. Well, Pharaoh's going to get to know the Lord God of Israel, isn't he? 
God is going to move in incredible ways, in ways like nobody could expect. So you remember those two things. It usually gets worse before it gets better. And things will not go the way you expect. And then I want to make you understand this morning that two things are always happening whenever you decide to take that step to do the right thing. Two things are always happening. Number one, the enemy's resisting. The enemy's resisting. Pharaoh's an enemy. He's not going to let Moses and Aaron waltz into his court, take the children of God out, set them free. No way. Pharaoh resists. He's the enemy. That's what enemies do. They resist. And he says no. And he even does things that are so shrewd and diabolical, like I said. I mean, he says, we're going to make these Hebrew slaves work harder. We're going to make life harder for them. And he's sending a message. He's sending a message. Not only is he denying the first request, Pharaoh is saying, don't you dare come again with another request. Don't even try We'll squash you. And then he does something else that I think is very shrewd, very important to, to, to see. Pharaoh worked in such a way to drive a wedge between Moses and Aaron and the people. Do you see that? He made it harder on the slaves and made sure that all the slaves knew. Yeah, Moses and Aaron are at fault here. And it worked. The Hebrew slaves were ugly to Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron feel responsible. They feel horrible. It's terrible. He took out all of his bags of tricks and threw it at them. And my friend, listen, when when you decide you're going to go out and you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to get right with the Lord, the enemy will resist When you decide you're going to get right with the Lord, don't expect the devil to applaud. Oh, yay. He's going to resist. He'll come against you. He'll throw obstacles in your way. He'll tell lies. The enemy will try to work the same way that Pharaoh did. He will try to make... Everything that you did initially when you start, he'll try to make it so hard that you would never dare think to try it again. That's what he'll do. Another very popular and effective strategy of Satan is to put wedges between Christians. Between Christians and their leaders, perhaps. I'll tell you. You get all excited about coming to the Lord and wanting to serve the Lord and want to be a part. And then all of a sudden you discover that Christians aren't perfect. Maybe you have some issues. You have some arguments. You have some fights. You get your, your feelings hurt. Maybe you get offended. You don't like the leader anymore. Take you right out. Very effective thing for Satan to do. If he can get team members fighting, they'll get off the field. How many people I have known over the years as a, man, as a pastor 
who've gotten upset with somebody in the church or something, and that's it. They're gone. Done. The enemy will resist. And it'll be strong. And it's something you should expect. Imagine a running back on a football team after the play running to the sideline. Coach, they're chasing me. They're trying to hurt me out there. They're tackling me. And the coach says, that's because you're carrying the ball, silly. You want to get serious about following the Lord? You're carrying the ball, man. You're going to get tackled. And instead of fighting with other brothers and sisters in Christ, block for them. And hope that they block for you. The enemy resists. In fact, if you decide, I'm going to go follow the Lord and start getting out there and really trying it, and you see opposition, be excited about it. Let that encourage you. That means God's at work. It's like the redness around an injection site. The redness means the body is reacting to the shot. In the same way, early opposition signals God's work is started. God's work is started. So that's always happening when you encounter these setbacks. The enemy is resisting. But secondly, and this is awesome, the Lord is developing. The Lord is making you stronger. The Lord is giving you stronger character, making you deeper, giving you more wisdom. We get stronger through setbacks, we dig deeper. The plant must first be pushed down in order for the flower or the fruit to be pushed up. God uses those setbacks to develop you. How strong does Moses get if on the first try, Pharaoh says, oh, sure, take them? How strong? How does that adequately prepare Moses to lead two and a half million people through a wilderness to a promised land? Doesn't equip him at all. How does an easy out prepare all those Hebrew slaves for the trials and tribulations of the wilderness crossing, entering into the promised land to fight giants? Doesn't help them. Not at all. God uses these times to prepare you. And speaking about developing, God developing you, he uses these setbacks to make us more dependent upon him. That's what he does. We get excited about following the Lord. We move forward. We encounter these things. And these setbacks make us very mindful of our own weaknesses. How desperately we need God and to follow him and to become more dependent upon him. These setbacks are meant to crush our self-reliance, self-dependence. 
self-assurance. God wants us to depend upon him. Moses is crying out at the end of chapter 5, Lord! And I love what verse 1 of chapter 6 says. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. I love that. Moses, now you'll see what I do. It's like God gave them an initial taste of failure. To let them see the challenge. To let them taste a little bit about their own weakness. And then God turns around and says, now you're going to see what I'll do. God is developing you. God is making us more dependent upon him. Moses needed to have his eyes on God more. You know what? Even the Hebrew slaves, they needed to get their eyes off Moses and Aaron and put them on God. Hmm. God does that. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 12, verse 24. He said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. You can do great things for God, but you must die first. Those lean times, those tough times, those setbacks. You know, we talk about our tent years, four years in a tent. And we went through tough times. I'm not kidding. We, had, we were attacked by wasps, um, locusts, frogs. I, I kid you not, frogs. At one point, I told God, we are not the Egyptians. <laughs> we're the Israelites. We face so many different types of... But you know what? This church doubled in size. And this church got strong. And people's faith was, was expanded. And it all came because we had to stop depending upon ourselves. God wants us depending upon him. When F.B. Meyer wrote about this story, he pointed out that Moses must learn a vital lesson. Death to self. Death to his plans. Death to his dreams. Death to his ambition. Death to his schemes. Death to his leadership. Death to his popularity. All of it. Die. All of it. God says, now let me show you what I'm going to do. Such important lessons. Such incredible lessons. You know, it is always, it is always right under every circumstance in your life. To obey the Lord Jesus Christ. To follow him. To serve him. To turn to him. It's always right. Now there are going to be times when you do that. That you face these things. And you might think. No I, I, I shouldn't have done it. Yeah you should have. Don't allow anything to, to turn you back. It's always right. To do what God is calling you to do. It's always right. No matter how much it hurts. No matter what it costs. No matter if your expectations are not being met. Follow him. He's got a plan. He's got a plan. Trust him.
Let's close our eyes. Let's pray. God, help us to trust you. Lord, I thank you for your I thank you for your word. I just thank you so much for this passage this morning, how such an impact it had on me. Lord, how it explains so much. Father, there's no doubt that you want to you use every person in this sanctuary, every single one down to a person. You have plans for them. And I pray that each and every one of us down to a person would turn to you. If we don't know you yet as Lord and Savior, we receive you by faith right now. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. But I pray, Lord, that we would follow you 100%. Not allowing these very common obstacles that are very effective to be effective on us. I pray for those who right now are facing unmet expectations, maybe great disappointments, maybe some here this morning thinking, I played by the rules. I didn't get anything and it returned, so you think. Or maybe you've had an issue, Lord, for those that are, have had issues with, with other Christians, maybe Christian leaders, bad experiences at church, other churches, or even this church. Or don't let that bench them, Lord. Pray, Lord, that we would not run away and hide. Save us from the pity parties, Lord. Pray that as your people we join together, encouraging one another to do the work that you want to do in our individual lives, in our marriages, in our homes, in our community, in our job, Lord. Thank you for this encouragement in Jesus' name. Amen.